This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. In the last episode, Dave Andrews from Old Guys Rule explains how and why he targets the baby boomer market. In this episode, you learn from an entrepreneur that started a business that's donated $1 million to other aspiring entrepreneurs. In this episode, you'll learn why you should find a business you can afford to fund yourself, where you should look towards to improve your supply chain, and how to approach and pitch a retailer. Today, I'm joined by Zach Holtzapfel from MissionBelt.com. It's M-I-S-S-I-O-N-B-E-L-T.com. Mission Belt sells belts where a dollar from every belt goes to fight poverty and was started in 2012 in base of Orem, Utah. Welcome, Zach. Hey, thanks for having us on, Felix. Yeah, excited to have you on. So tell us a bit more about your story and what are the what are the, these belts that you sell? Tell us more about these belts. Well, you know, first and foremost, we make the best pants holder upper on the market. You know, <laughs> we make belts for men. And they're unique in that uh, uh, instead of, you know, a traditional belt that is only adjustable, you know, every inch, a mission belt uses a, a, a special device that makes it micro adjustable. So you get the perfect fit every time. So whether you just won like a, a taco eating competition or you've been, you know, sucking weight for the Christmas pictures or something, um, your mission belt is going to fit you every time. And, you know, we, 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 we have great style and comfort and usability all branded, all, all put into one fantastic product. And then almost as important as our product is our mission. Um, we're called Mission Belt because, like you said, a dollar from every belt we sell goes to fight poverty around the world through micro lending. Uh, we we partner with Kiva, which is a peer to peer micro lender that uh, we're, we're lending in over seventy countries worldwide, mostly focused on agricultural businesses, so entrepreneurs can you know take control of their destiny, and we give them what they need, which is capital, which is money to start up their own businesses and to you know end the poverty cycle. And so that's what mission, the mission is behind Mission Belt, and that's what we're about. Awesome. You definitely want to talk a little bit more about the, the micro lending in a second, but I uh, just want to kind of jump in and say that's awesome that the money that you go to actually helps other entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs. I think that's a really cool, um, I guess, you know, cause that you have. So um, let's talk a little bit about how you got started. Like, what's your background? Like, how did you get into the idea of creating these belts? Well, like most entrepreneurs, you know, you don't start you know, dreaming that this is what you're going to do, but, you know, life takes you down a path and, and doors open and opportunities present themselves and, uh, you take those, uh, those chances. That's the entrepreneurial spirit, right? We roll the dice a lot. And so, um, I, uh, I lived all over the United States and, uh, and, uh, I've lived uh, outside the country as well. A few times growing up, my dad's a professor. So we lived in the middle East and then lived in Central America for, a few years and uh, studied at Brigham Young University, political science, because I was just fascinated with the world and everything that was going on in it. And my first job out of college was with an international trust firm. And that also kept me on the road, kept me traveling like nine months out of the year. And uh, that's when uh, we 
um, you know, start diving into different kinds of businesses and those different kind of opportunities that randomly kind of present themselves and ended up in manufacturing in, in Mexico and Panama, making uh, bed components for uh, bed manufacturers, mattress manufacturers. And so we'd make foams and springs and gels and everything that you can, you know, <laughs> that you need to, to make a bed. And uh, just from there, different projects, and uh, uh, we started doing some small lending to you know friends and and people we knew. Um, we started with one in in Panama, where we uh, we bought a me and my partner Jeff Jensen. We we bought a bus in Florida and sent it down to Panama, so a good friend of ours could start his own business uh, with a bus line. And one b- bus grew to two, two to three, and we got this idea about micro lending, and we said whatever our next business is. Let's tie um, our success in that business on a one-to-one basis to to this micro lending idea to help other entrepreneurs, uh, you know, control their destiny and and do what they need to do to to like we were saying break the poverty cycle. And so uh, when we came up with when we when we thought you know, of we thought of the mission first, and then we thought of the product that we were going to tie to it. And that's how we came when we came across belts. We said, you know, this is the kind of product we like because, like mattresses, it's something everybody uses. And so we don't need the entire market. We just need a portion of the market to be successful. And uh, we love the belts. And, it was, you know, it's a sleepy, tired product. And so we wanted to, like, breathe, you know, new life into it. And, and so that's the product we went with. But like most entrepreneurs, it's an interesting story. And being an entrepreneur is more about, more than just making money because there's lots of ways to skin a cat and lots of ways to make money. Uh, but entrepreneurs, we like the stories. We like the experiences. We like, uh, you know, the variety. We like to choose who we work with, when, when we work, things like that. So like most entrepreneurs, uh, it's an interesting tale and, uh, you know, it wasn't uh, planned out. But it's, that's, how, that's, where, that's where I came from anyway. Awesome. So it sounds like you had some criteria when you were thinking about starting your next business. Uh, you said that uh, you know, it needed to be a product that everyone needs, you know, a belt, everyone needs a belt. And it sounded like you wanted to also find an opportunity where you could breathe new life into a product or into a category. Were there any other kind of, I guess, things you wanted to make sure you could check off before you decided to go ahead with your, you know, your next business idea? Um, yeah, the usual things, you know, we wanted to find something that was easily accessible. Manufacturing was like a big part of it, supply chain, the normal things that you would look at in a business, you know, funding, um, things like that. Um, but, uh, uh, those are kind of the, 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 just the same kind of checklist that you'd go through with any kind of business. But, you know, we do like the idea that it's a very common kind of product, something that people will buy multiple times in a year that, they want and accessorize and that they need even. Um, so as long as people are still wearing belts, that's, that's the thing, you know, we got suspenders and drawstrings. That's our, our (laughs) biggest concern, right? (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. So tell, tell us a little more about this. Um, one of the criteria you mentioned, which is about funding. Like what are you looking for? What did you look for when you were evaluating the products and how did it, what, what, what about funding? Uh, I guess, um, yeah, that's a great question. And when I say, I guess funding, we didn't actually, we, we wanted to be self-funded. Uh, you know, Jeff had an e-commerce background, um, and we have been partnered up on lots of different deals over the last, you know, eight years or so. And so we decided we wanted to find a product that we could afford to fund ourselves as well. 
So um, that just comes into you know the math of a of a business, and so some businesses like if we want to start a, uh, a car company or something like that. We'd obviously have to invest very heavily and and look outside our own finances to fund it. But belts is a perfect category for uh, people like ourselves that you know we have some some investment capital, but you know no, nothing, no staggering, and so belts are perfect for that because uh, you know it's not a high end. Uh, kind of uh, investment, so that was some criteria that we were looking at. Cool. So, do you think that that is like a, a preference, or do you think that that should be something that everyone should lean towards? Meaning, they should always lean towards finding a business that they can bootstrap rather than something that's more capital intensive that's going to require outside investment. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not uh, afraid of debt uh, or bringing on investors or partners or funding. Um, it just so happened that at the time when we were doing this, uh, we had other projects going. I was still involved very heavily in mattresses, and Jeff was very involved with his projects. And so we didn't want to bring on investors or, or capital unless we were going to dedicate you know, 100% of our time to it. And you know, because as we've grown, it's totally taken over all of our other projects. And so now we are fully invested. But at the time, we didn't want it to be you know, 70 hours a week kind of a thing, but it, it, it grew faster and bigger than we ever imagined. So it has taken up all of our time, but no, I wouldn't say that that's just like key to every business. I think if you have a great idea and you need funding, go get the funding, uh, make it happen. So I wouldn't, uh, steer away from, from borrowing or taking on debt or investors or anything like that. Mm, makes sense. So another thing you mentioned was regarding uh, manufacturing. So what were you looking for? I guess what do, what do you consider when you think about uh, uh, picking a business or picking a product to build in regards to uh, to manufacturing? Uh, well, so with my mattress uh, background in manufacturing in Mexico and Panama, uh, you know, supply chain is a real important thing. You don't want to be you don't want to sell a product or make a product that is um, going to have problems in that supply chain. You want to be able to act quickly and you know reactive to the demand that your product has. And so, when you're looking at something, if it's you know you've got one supplier or you need a special material that is short or hard to hard to get, um, then you know those are things to consider. And luckily, with belts, you know leather is a very common product around the world. And, uh, you know, we use uh, all sorts of different kinds of metals, but um, it's all pretty uh, standard. We can pretty much make our belts anywhere. And so that's, that was something that, you know, you always want to look at is supply chain. Mm, yeah, I think that's that definitely makes a lot of sense, you know, because these are obviously the raw ingredients that are needed to actually have a product. So when you sit down and think, or when the entrepreneur out there is sitting down and thinking about, building their first product or getting their first product made. You mentioned a couple of things there. One is uh, that there aren't, there isn't just one supplier, then also about the ease of access to the material. So how do you begin this kind of research? Like how do you find out if the material that you're getting is going to be rare or not? And then also how do you find out, I guess, how do you work with multiple manufacturers or work with multiple suppliers? Yeah. So, I mean, it all depends. If you're going to be manufacturing yourself, then obviously all you have to do is find those raw materials. And you find those raw materials by just shopping them out and filling out your market. Uh, for us in the mattress business, we were making all of our parts. Also, all we needed was like raw materials, for instance. And so we had to look for oils and foams and things like that. But, you know, 
Um, those that were, and some of them were actually really hard to get. There were only like two suppliers in the world that made, you know, a polymer that we really needed. And then that was always something you had to think about and, and keep on hand. Uh, and then when it comes to belts, you know, um, much easier to source. But again, uh, if, and if you're not manufacturing yourself using suppliers, it's always a great idea to have multiple suppliers, not rely or put all your eggs in one or two or even three uh, baskets only, you know, spread it out. And that'll help you also control your price so that you, you know, get to play suppliers off, off one another and keep them honest. Um, but it's just a matter of reaching out and, uh, you know, getting those bids, those quotes and visiting the factories. Um, so it's just, it's just a matter of, uh, time and energy and, and feeling out the market. So it's, it's not hard. It just takes time. And, uh, if you're manufacturing overseas, you just need to find people that you can work with that uh, can do your legwork for you if you can't be there. But, but it's all it's it's pretty simple. If the uh, it should never be a hindrance, uh, uh, the manufacturing aspect of the business, it's not as complicated as as it might seem. Mm. So you know, given your experience with manufacturing these belts, and obviously with your your bed manufacturing experience, where do you you know where where would you recommend an entrepreneur, a business owner, start to look at first if they want to evaluate their supply chain? Let's say that they started a business and they have all the manufacturing everything set up, but they haven't revisited it since. If they were to go back and look and say, "Let me see how I can improve this," where do you recommend they take a look at first? Um, you mean if they're trying to add like a new supplier or a new, but I guess just to, um, I, I'm assuming that you've probably optimized your supply chains based on you, the, the amount of experience that you have in there. Like where do you see the most, uh, I guess, issues, uh, with other, uh, businesses that are, that have a supply chain that might not be as optimized as yours? Yeah, that's a great question. And the, the thing with, uh, manufacturing is that you can never get complacent. You can't just be like, oh yeah, we have this great guy and he just makes our product and it's, and it's just like clockwork. You have to continually be visiting your quality control, your, your manufacturing processes, your standards, your shipping, um, your, your cost, your raw cost, your deliver cost, your shipping, all that kind of stuff kind of adds up to your product cost and, and quality. And it's just something you never let up on. You always have to be doing your quality control you always have to be innovating, um, and it's just it's you can't sleep on the job. You just have to go over it with every PO, with every purchase, or with every every run. So you just can't be complacent. I, I guess I would say. And then by doing that, you are going to always get a, the, a better deal, a better product, better time, whatever it is you're looking to optimize. Uh, by continually revisiting it and going around to your different manufacturers. Um, you'll keep them on their toes and, and keep your product fresh. Yeah, was this kind of, um, I guess, uh, keeping, like you're saying, keeping your suppliers, keeping your supply chain honest, like this, this, these activities that you were doing, were they easy for you to do when you were, you know, a smaller player at the time? Or was it something that you had, was it more of like a luxury, I guess, that came along after you become larger or a bigger buyer uh, from the suppliers? Yeah, there's always people who want your business. Even if you're small and ordering, you know, a couple pallets, even there's people who want that business and and manufacturers that size that that do want it. But as you grow and you're bringing in containers and making large purchase orders, then you're you're obviously become a more important part of their business. Then it becomes yes, like you were saying, just it, it becomes that much easier. But there's always going to be players and manufacturers that are catering 
to uh, you know the smaller businesses, and they want your business as bad as uh, as you want you know your own business to grow. So um, you can do that. Um, so yeah, it gets easier as you grow, and you have a lot more uh, sway when you're bringing you know when you got a couple forty foot containers of of product being made for you by a factory. So it gets easier. Awesome. So when you are working these manufacturers, these suppliers, and um, you're trying to get a better deal or find more ways for them to help your, you and your business out, do you make it known that you're shopping around? Like how do you, I guess, like you are saying earlier, er, earlier that there's some kind of playing them off of each other. Like tell us a little bit more about like how do you approach uh, these suppliers to get the best deal out of, uh, I guess, a relationship? Yeah, the best thing that's worked for me always has been transparency. Um, I never pretend that we're giving an exclusive deal to somebody. I never, and and I'm more than happy to share costs. Uh, you know, can you beat this price? Can you match this price? Uh, and sometimes we ask for more than that. And uh, you know, it seems to be, in my opinion, the best way that your manufacturers and your suppliers uh, realize how you operate and will fight for that business, uh, knowing what the, what the possible, you know, outcome will be, you know, what kind of orders we're looking at and things like that. So, you know, I don't like to hype it and tell them, Hey, we can send, you know, 5 million orders your way or 5 million units your way. Um, if I'm really not planning on doing that. And I, I think, you know, just being open and transparent with them is, is a wise Mm, yeah, I think that that makes sense. There's definitely um, you know less time wasted on everyone's hands when everything's put up front. That makes sense. So you um you you knew that you had you picked this product that you knew that you wanted to 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 have built. Um, what was the first step? Like you know you knew that it had to be made. Did you have to get a design? Like what were the very first steps towards actually getting the product uh, created? Yeah, we have a we have an interesting product in that it's been around for 20 years. Um, our, you know, a belt similar to ours, uh, it's been around in, in Asia and Europe for a long time. And a few other companies, larger companies like Dockers have actually tried to sell a belt very similar to ours, you know, this micro adjusting belt, this no holes belt, and they fell right on their face. You know, the, they, they thought, Oh, this is a improved belt. People will buy it, but that it doesn't just sell itself. There has to be some education involved and there has to be some kind of, you know, branding behind it and make it interesting, fun and and people, you know, want to buy something more than just a product. And so it's been around. And so when we saw it, you know, we thought, yeah, we need to make some changes to it to make it ours. There's some things that we changed and upgraded and it, it became our belt. But there's similar belts out there. Um, and so our our process was, you know, we found a couple of manufacturers that could could make the changes that we wanted. And we made those changes really simply. Uh, we didn't even like go through like a design, you know, firm or anything like that. We just basically told them we want a mold made and we want these features to be included into it. And we did, you know, several samples uh, back and forth until we got exactly how we wanted. And then we just started, you know, uh, designing, which was more of a uh, from a fashion kind of perspective you know what we we pretty much made a, a product that we would wear that we would like and that we think our friends and and others would like and so um that was pretty easy for us as well mm-hmm. so what was the timeline between picking the product and actually having the very first uh, shipment that was ready to be sold um i would say we kind of because we were involved in other projects at the time more heavily um this wasn't like um 
this was a side kind of thought, and so we weren't spending much time on it. I'd say we probably took um, six months to get up from you know d- deciding that hey we want to do this to actually getting our first small shipment to, to sell. Mm, makes sense. So you, I know you mentioned uh, just just you know, a few seconds ago about how you were building a product that you would wear yourself, that your friends would also wear. Did you have to do any testing or validating of that? Of that, you know, because obviously, if it's you or your 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 co-founder or your other employees, it's easy to do that validation. But did you have to get out into the market and find out if a people cared not care, but people like the belt, and b did they care about the mission? Um, well, the mission was, we were never going to, uh, the mission was always going to be a bonus. We always wanted the product to sell for itself, you know, and that, you know, people find out there's a mission, there's some kind of added value to that. And we were going to do it no matter what. And we don't even, you know, we don't push the the mission that much because, uh, you know, like we, like I said, first and foremost, we make a pants holder upper that is second to none. And that's what we want people to think of when they think of Mission Belt initially. And so, and we never really had to do any kind of uh, test market. We believed in the product right away. And uh, so we never really did the test or go out into the market. We just brought in a small shipment and started selling them. And, uh, you know, when you find a product that you you believe in, that you think is the better mousetrap, it's that easy. So do you remember how big that first shipment was or you said there was a small shipment? Very small shipment, I think. Uh, and we were pretty naive when we came into the business originally. You know, we, we were like, oh yeah, we'll do belts and we'll do it in black and brown and white, you know? And then our very first order, I think, was like something like just several thousand units, maybe 8,000 units uh, split up between black, brown, and white. And uh, we, our first sales were, you know, to retailers and that was their first thing. Oh, these are great. Where's the other colors, right? And we're like, oh, okay, you guys need a lot. And then sure enough, they want a big variety if they're going to, you know, bring on a brand. They don't want to bring on a brand for just, you know, three SKUs. They want dozens. And so we quickly found out we need to expand our line ASAP. And, and, and we did, and we reacted to that. Yeah, so you, um, you know, usually when I have a guest on a podcast, I ask them, you know, how they got their first X number of sales. But you, you rather, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, you know, they sold to friends or family, they just sold the trunk of their car. But you went straight to talking to the retailers. Tell us a little bit more about that. Like, how did you, how did you approach them? How did you even get the chance to talk to them? Yeah, so you know, like I said, Jeff and I, we have been entrepreneurs, and. Uh, we knew we didn't want to start a business just selling to friends and family. We were only interested in doing, you know, a business that we felt was, uh, you know, independent on its own, you know. And so we started our first sale. We went to our local, um, actually, my brother, uh, who was another partner, he um, went to the local golf course uh, country club and uh, talked to the the club pro, and he loved the belts right off the bat, right? So that was actually our very first sale into the country club. And then the country club, a lot of business people in the Valley um, are members of that country club. And some of them own, you know, suit stores or lifestyle stores or skate shops. And they bought the belts inside the country club, and then they would reach out to us and be like, hey, I just got your belt at the Riverside Country Club, we love it. Can we carry it in our stores? And so that was our initial kind of, uh, that was our, our very first 
sale was there. And from that very first sale came, you know, dozens of other retailers, uh, you know, and they're all kind of like local chains, uh, which are fabulous. And, uh, you know, that's how we got started. That's how we decided, okay, we've got a product that can run. Uh, and that's how we decided to bring in more and new, new, new varieties, new SKUs. Uh, so that was our path. And, you know, obviously at the same time in, in conjunction, we started with like Amazon and of course we had our own webpage, Shopify, but nobody was surfing to our sites until we started selling, um, you know, into retail. Mm. So was this your, when you, when you had, when you guys went to this country club to first pitch and sell the belts, was this your first like beginning attempt at selling them or was this just your first yes? Like were there a string of no's and kind of rejections along the way or did you have success right off the bat? That was the very first attempt and the very first yes. And, you know, we, we don't, you know, we don't, we're not batting a thousand, but, uh, you know, if we get the chance to get in front of a buyer, um, the conversation it develops pretty well. And so we haven't had a lot of no's, but I mean, everyone's going to have no's. It's either the wrong season or they don't want to invest in accessories uh, or what have you, or they already chose a different uh, belt company to go with for the year. And so those will happen, but it just so happened that our first attempt was a success. And, you know, we tried other avenues as well after that. And, uh, you know, some hits, some misses. Um, but yeah, our very first one was fortunate and, you know, it took a couple of weeks or months for those retailers to come in, find the product. And, you know, it, it helped that the, the, the club pro loved the product. He just was in love with it. You know, and if we always say, you know, if the salesperson's wearing our belt, he will, or she will sell it to another, to a customer because mm -hmm. they actually love it. You know, when you find a product you like, you talk about it. Right. You're like, oh, you're going to love this. You're going to love that. And so uh, that was key in, in, in our initial success. So this all happened within like a year, right? You started, you had the idea six months later, you had your first shipment. And then you said a few months, you started pitching to the, to the uh, country clubs. And all of a sudden within a few months, other retailers that, that frequented that club heard about the product and wanted to stock it themselves. Yeah, we actually started selling to them. So we started in the fall of 2012, actually like, you know, officially formally. And we made our first sale into the country club that fall and retailers started getting on board. And then just three months after being in business, so in the winter, um, we uh, applied to ABC's Shark Tank uh, TV show um, and we got accepted. So three months into business and we had a few retail shops, you know, local shops, we filmed on Shark Tank. And then from there, six months later, it aired. And so that changed things and sped things up dramatically as well. Awesome. So I, I feel like there's a couple, uh, I guess, nuggets here. So you were able to first identify a product that you yourself liked and that you knew other people had uh, liked as well. There's a mission attached to it, and you went straight for a retailer or went straight for, I guess, a almost like a watering hole, I guess, for a bunch of retailers, which is which extremely magnified your your reach and your ability to reach out to these retailers and then all of a sudden get picked up by Shark Tank or I guess, uh, you know, invited on to, to pitch on Shark Tank. So is this, uh, I guess, path, you think that others could replicate this like, or maybe could you replicate this path as well? Or w would you say there's some luck involved? Like what, are, what, are, what is like as a secret sauce to be able to execute on this so quickly? 
You know, I would, I would say that luck is definitely involved in all this. So when we went to Riverside to sell, we didn't think of it as the watering hole necessarily, but it ended up being that watering hole. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, that was, that was pretty much luck. Um, but you know, it took the effort to go and make the initial pitches and sales. So I always like to say entrepreneurs, they all work hard. Everybody does. Um, but when lightning strikes and you get that, those, that bit of luck that all businesses need, you got to capitalize on it and move fast. And, and that hard work comes into play in that because there's entrepreneurs that work much harder than we do, uh, that maybe have been doing it longer, that grind harder, um, and still haven't gotten, uh, you know, that initial bump that they're looking for. And it just, the opportunity hasn't presented itself yet. But I, I think if you start a business, you always are going to get some opportunity. And then, so it's always just a question of capitalizing on those opportunities at each stage. And so I think we were very fortunate, uh, to, to, uh, have had those initial successes early on in our company. Um, and you know, we've been running to catch up ever since it feels like, uh, which is a great problem to have, you know? And so, um, could we replicate it? I think we've learned a lot. We could do things like that. Um, but definitely fate and, and luck come to play. I honestly believe that, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of luck. Yeah, I definitely think that that's sometimes not talked about, the opportunity, these opportunities that come up. And I think one of the keys to being a successful entrepreneur is what you're getting at, which is the ability to identify and then capitalize on these opportunities. So then how do you, I think one other, I guess, um, skill that needs to be developed is the ability to identify what's an opportunity versus what is a distraction. So how do you, I guess, approach it when something comes up, it, it looks like an opportunity, maybe it's disguised as an opportunity, but could actually distract you from the business. How do you know if it's actually something that's worth pursuing or not? Uh, yeah, no, there are definitely a lot of distractions that pop up, especially once you start getting on people's radar. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you get people coming by or emailing or pitching you or calling you all the time trying to get what they want out of some kind of relationship. And so um, you definitely have to stay focused. I mean, a lot of people are begging us to come out with other products. You know, you guys should make wallets. You guys should make socks. You guys mm -hmm. should make this and that. And we feel like right now, at least, that those would be distractions. You know, like we really want to become the gorilla uh, in the belt category. And until we do that, we're going to stay real focused and true to our, our core competency. And I guess that's what you just got to always be thinking about. You know, just last week, some sports team came to us and they want us to advertise and make a belt for their stadium. And, you know, we have to evaluate that. You know, is this, is this going to distract us from what we're doing? Or is this something that is going to add value to our brand and, and our business? And I guess it's just you have to go through that evaluation process. And uh, there's always choices to be made, right, at every junction. And it's going to be different for every company. And, and the way they get there is always going to be different as well, I think. But, you know, it's an evaluation. We work as a team. You know, we, we, everybody has a different idea or a different insight or different experience. And I think that's what's important about partnerships as well. Um, you know, you bring on, you, you have partners that complement each other, uh, you know, like if we were all just e-commerce guys, or if we were all just salespeople, then we'd be missing all sorts of parts. Right. But because we have different backgrounds and different strengths, uh, you add it all up, there's complementary, you know, input from everybody. And I think that helps you stay focused and stay, you know, true to your course and, and, uh, your focus.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing I've been telling a lot of entrepreneurs, especially lately, is that you have to say no more than you say yes to to anything. Anybody anybody ask you anything or these opportunities that come up? Um, have there been any, you don't get specific if you don't want to, but have there been any regrets that you've had from turning down opportunity, from saying no to something that, you know, that was an opportunity? Uh, not yet. You know, we, we're selective about where our product can be sold um, and, uh, you know, partnerships, we want to be careful with those as well. So, so far we haven't had any big regrets about, uh, passing up an opportunity or an offer, but, uh, then again, maybe they would have been great if had we said yes, but no, right now there's nothing glaring uh, that we should have done. Mm-hmm, makes sense. So one thing I wanted to talk about before we move off this uh, subject about these retailers is um, approaching them. Like, So when someone today, when you are thinking about approaching a retailer, maybe if you have some advice for some an entrepreneur that's thinking about approaching a, a retailer for the first time, like, what are some ways that they can prepare to make sure that the meeting or the pitch or the opportunity goes well? Um, you know, you just got to give them, uh, it, once you find the contact, which is probably like, 90% of your effort is actually getting in front of the person who can make the decision mm. to bring your product into their stores or their chain or whatever. Um, but once you do, you know, you just got to give them the vision of how this can uh, increase their margin, increase their revenue, um, because that's why they're in business as well. You know, they're not here to support you. We're here to support them, help them pay their mortgages, help them pay mm-hmm. their employees. And so you got to give them a reason to, to buy your product. Yeah, I think uh, something I've heard recently um, that I thought was really interesting is that as an entrepreneur, your job is a lot of times is to be uh, to be a servant, right? A servant for your customers, a servant for your for for the retailers that you want to sell into. It's your job to find out what they need and help them fill that, and hopefully that obviously aligns with your goals as well. And I think uh, hit it on the head because I think a lot of times people will approach retailers or people that they need help from and just think about how can you help me rather than how can I help you and have both of us benefit. It from it. So great point. That's absolutely true. As a matter of fact, you know, sometimes entrepreneurs say, well, it's better than working for someone. But the truth is, I'm working for, you know, hundreds of thousands mm. of people, I feel like, you know. And when it just even comes to the retail level, you know, we ourselves are in over 1,200 doors and, you know, I will take calls. And I, if there's somebody who's upset, I'm going to be occasionally, I'm the one who is going to get escalated all the way up to me. And I'm going to go over there and I'm going to try to find the pain and solve it for them. And that's uh, also when you're approaching them, that's important. Find their pain and address it, you know, Um, because, uh, you know, the pain, at least in our business, is accessories move slowly. And, you know, belts are in the corner of a store and there's cobwebs inside a cave. Nobody cares about them. It's an afterthought. You know, Ralph Lauren makes a belt, but they, it's an afterthought. And all these big players make belts, but they don't focus on belts. And that's where we come in. We, you know, we're a belt company. We're gonna, we're gonna sell. We're not just gonna replace your belt sales. We're gonna add to your belt sales. We're gonna grow your belt business, and that's uh, you know important. And if you if you can approach a, a store like that and tell them you're actually gonna grow their business, just not just replace the current product they sell, you know that does wonders. Mm, makes a lot of sense. So I want to talk, you know, quickly about Shark Tank. I'm sure that you don't write, you don't have any instructions on how to get on the show, but maybe you can tell us a little bit about how the, um, I guess the, the appearance helped your business. Like, what was it like the, you know, weeks, maybe or I mean days, I guess, uh, after the show's airing? Like, what was the, the experience like? Yeah, no, it's fantastic. You know, it's real intense. Uh, my brother's the one who actually went on and did the TV. I'm a little 
camera shy myself. They say the camera adds 10 pounds and that's the last thing I needed. Right. <laughs> and so I, I, I was, you know, I, I didn't actually appear, but it's very intense. It's very real. And, uh, but what it did for our business that was so great is, uh, you know, when we're talking about mission belts and this, a new way, a whole, a belt without holes, um, it's hard to kind of imagine how that works, but TV is a perfect medium for us because we can show people because it's basically a giant zip tie for your waist, right? And so you, people automatically understood right away, this is a great, this is a neat product. This is a product I like. I like the mission. I like the style. And TV was awesome for us for that. And, uh, and Shopify, I have to tell you, was just incredible because we specifically moved over to Shopify from like a WordPress site or something like that, um, before you know running up to Shark Tank because we knew Shopify could handle the kind of traffic that we were going to get from our Shark Tank uh, experience. Matter of fact, we called up and talked to you know our a rep and notified them, "Hey guys, we're going to be on Shark Tank. We're expecting uh, you know a couple hundred thousand hits or at least a hundred you know fifty thousand hits on the first night or something like that." And gave them the heads up and a lot of uh, people who appear on Shark Tank, if they're not prepared for it, you know, with like a great platform like Shopify, their website crashes. They can't take orders. They miss the opportunity completely. Mm. So, like I was saying, you know, these opportunities come up, and it's about how you handle these opportunities. So, a big part of our success was directly tied to Shopify. Shopify handled it. We didn't crash. It kept things. It kept things. It kept things rolling. We were able to keep selling. Um, and, you know, capture all these great sales plus get, uh, you know, the exposure that we we're looking for. And there was a long tail after Shark Tank. And, you know, I'd say Shopify was just magnificent for, for us and, and for that big explosion of traffic that we got off of being on national television. Mm, that's great to hear. So tell us about the, the deal. Like, what did you guys come in or what did your, your, um, your, I guess your co-founder come in asking for? And then what did you end up getting? Well, we actually originally our pitch. So with Shark Tank, you send in a pitch, either video or an email. But uh, we send in a video, and my brother's a, uh, uh, entertain. He's entertaining. He's a card, and so he was already interesting just to watch. But our initial pitch was we wanted uh, we were going to offer a part of the company. I think something like five percent for one dollar, because the idea was we didn't really need the capital. We mm. felt like we had enough money to get our business going. We wanted the Rolodex. We wanted the experience that came with one of the shark investors. And so that was our initial pitch to the producers. And they loved it at first. They were just like, oh, this is great, guys. Wonderful. And then as uh, we got closer and closer to the filming, the producer said, oh, you know what? If we do this, it's going to turn our show into a circus. And then people are going to be offering to pay them to come in and help. Mm. And, and so they said, so we need a real valuation. And we need you to ask for a real amount of money. And so we ended up asking for something. And we made a deal on TV and uh, the deal afterwards, because uh, our particular shark, Damon John, who's just phenomenal, I should say, um, he, it, with our particular deal, every deal is different. He didn't want to close the deal until we aired on TV, see how it went. And when he called us uh, after our airing, he said, guys, I'm not going to hold you that deal. It, it's not a good deal for you. Let's do something different. So he's not wow. a shark at all. Just a great guy, entrepreneur like us, who wants to uh, just not take advantage of every situation. And so uh, we were able to get a deal that was uh, more, that was better, you know, leaned towards us better, and and uh, made it work. And it was it was fantastic. So 
Every deal is different though. Every entrepreneur is different. So I can't say this is how it works, right? But in our case, that's how it worked. Mm, awesome. So I guess it's been about, I guess, two to three years since you've been working with uh, Damon and his company. Has there been any, I guess, lessons that you can share with uh, the audience that he's taught you about, you know, running a business, about being an entrepreneur? Uh, well, he's a smart operator. He definitely gets it. You get to, if you get talked to Damon one-on-one, uh, you just really realize very quickly, this guy understands retail. This guy understands business and, you know, everything he's, he is kind of, you know, he's a mentor to us more than anything else. And, uh, everything he's told us has been, you know, little nuggets that have helped us, you know, make good decisions. Awesome. So, um, yeah, I wanted to talk about, I guess, the charitable armor of your business. And I know that you mentioned that, I know that it wasn't, I guess, the, 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 the original, I guess it's not the reason that you're starting this business, but do you think that having a cause-based business like yours, just a cause-based business in general, gives you an edge over the competition or gives you, does it affect the bottom line in a positive way? Um, you know, it's a good question. I don't think anybody buys our product because there's a cause attached to it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're a for-profit company. Um, we just choose to donate a dollar from every sale to uh, micro lending and, uh, you know, fighting poverty. And so I don't know if people buy it because of it, but it's definitely an added value. We just, you know, we don't want you to just look good. We want you to feel good too. And we're, you know, we're young guys and we've been, we've lived around the world, all of us, uh, Jeff and Nate and me, we've all lived around the world. We see how everybody lives and really, you know, America is a great place. Uh, we really live in a, you know, blessed nation. Uh, we don't know what it's like out there for everybody else. Like we can go to a bank and get a loan. Um, and we decided, you know, we have to be a part of something bigger and so we were going to do this no matter what. And I don't know if it actually does increase our sales, but it really is who we are. And we're kind of, you know, our biggest, the biggest impact we can hope for, you know, from Mission Belt is that other companies see that, hey, you can be successful and give back at the same time, you know, and be a for-profit company and still give back and make a difference um, because we think that's the future. You know, governments don't seem very good at it, but individuals uh, seem like they can make a difference and and companies like us we feel like we can make a difference and 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 i think we are in the lives of the you know the tens of thousands of people that we've uh, gotten capital to that's awesome. So, you know, you've grown the company that I think you guys have a pretty sizable team now since the beginning of, of, of I guess, your, the business. How successful is the business today? Like, you know, what are we, uh, you know, share as much as you're comfortable sharing about the success of it? So, um, you know, we, uh, we donate a dollar from every belt to uh, our micro lending. And just this last week, we crossed a million dollars in, in micro loans. So we've now lent to over 40,000 unique individuals and over a million dollars in, wow. in, in loans just this last week. So you, know, you got me in a good time. We're really excited about that. We haven't even, we're going to send out the messages and, and do something about it, but we haven't had the time to do it yet, but we're going to because it's a, it's a, it's a significant like, threshold that we just passed. And we're very excited about it. And it, it, you know, like from the very beginning, we wanted to tie our success, you know, not just, you know, one day we're going to do something and give back. We decided to tie it directly to an individual belt. So, 
you know, John Doe goes and buys a belt and that a dollar right from there, that belt goes directly to help somebody start their business. And, you know, loans range between 25 and $500 each. Um, and like I said, we've done over 40,000 of these loans now to date. And so we're real happy about that. Yeah, that's amazing. So, um, what's your, I guess, what is your, uh, I'm looking at some, I guess, um, data that I found about, about you guys. I'm not sure how updated this is, but it says here that you've employed now 20 people. Has the team grown since then, or like what's the size of the, the team that works there? You know, it fluctuates during the year. Sometimes we have more during the holidays. Um, we've had as many as like, you know, 40 people. Um, uh, but now we do use a 3PL to do our fulfillment. Mm -hmm. So uh, we have a lot less warehouse kind of, you know, work. Uh, but yeah, we're probably hovering, uh, I think at 25 right now. And so, you know, it's a lean team, but we're always, you know, uh, entrepreneurs like us, at least, you know, our, our team, we're bootstrappers. We, everybody in the company kind of wears multiple hats and, uh, you know, we, we, we've never upgraded offices to, you know, <laughs> we, we pretty much still look like we're a startup and, and that's who we are though. You know, we're not, we, we're not flashy. We don't, you know, we don't blow our, our trumpet too loud. Um, but you know, we're, we're doing, we're doing great we're, and we're going to have a great year. Every year is better than last, which is can't ask for more than that. Mm-hmm. And in terms of running the business itself, are there any particular apps, whether it be on Shopify or outside Shopify, that you and your team rely on to, to keep the business running? Yeah, you know, Shopify is awesome. And I love all the apps that work with Shopify. You know, uh, ShipStation is a huge thing for us. Um, and it, it integrates with Shopify perfectly. Uh, MailChimp, uh, we can stay in contact with our customers, offer promotions and sales, or just update them about new products and and what's going on in the company. Uh, I like, we have a pop-up, uh, and I think it's, we use Privy for that. Uh, that's a great Shopify app. And there's Yotpo, which helps us collect kind of reviews and feedback from customers. There's just, there's just a bunch of great apps that work with Shopify. Uh, just even like Shopify Fraud Alert, you know, it saves us lots of money. And, and so there's all sorts of stuff. Uh, but those are some of them that are, are really great and then you know we live and breathe in in google docs and google sheets and you know <laughs> the usual ones definitely so you know million dollars in donations that you guys have been able to raise um obviously tons of success a large team that you've grown like, what are the plans for the future like what are you looking at a year out like where do you guys want to be um so you know we're gonna we keep focusing on what we're doing you know we brought on some licensing uh, we, so we do NBA, NHL, and NCAA belts, uh, you know, college sports and things like that. And so we, we, you know, we've gone into licensing a bit and, you know, we're growing always and bringing on new vendors. Some really good national ones are coming on, some new retail locations. And so, you know, we're at that stage where we're just, we're growing um, and we're growing the retail, the wholesale side significantly. Cause you know, at first we started, yeah, we first started with wholesale, but our Shopify and our webpage soon took over as our number one source. And, you know, for, uh, probably over a year, we were probably 90% online and 10% wholesale. And now we're starting to see that kind of balance out more. And I think that'll be our continual growth trajectory will be based on, you know, wholesale and online. But wholesale, you know, is growing because uh, you, when you bring on a store that has, you know, 900 locations, that's, you know, that's significant, uh, you know, but they're both complementary. 
you know, people see you in a store, mm-hmm. they oftentimes look you up online as well. And so, you know, we're just keep doing what we're doing, uh, work on some strategic partnerships. But like I said, until we are that gorilla that everybody knows us and recognizes us as the belt company, we're probably not going to dabble into anything that distracts us. Awesome. Thanks so much, Zach. So missionbelt.com is the website. Again, it's M-I-S-S-I-O-N-B-E-L-T.com. Anywhere else you recommend the listeners check out if they want to follow along with what you guys are up to? Uh, yeah, Mission Belt's going to be the best. Follow us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, there's always things uh, you know you can follow there about sales or promotions or new product launches. Uh, but yeah, uh, just get on missionbelt.com or check out your local retailers. You'll find us in Zoomies and journeys and and uh, you know some other you know big retailers out there nordstrom's uh and uh you know go try a mission belt you'll love them very cool thanks again so much zach hey thanks felix thanks for listening to shopify masters the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs to start your store today visit shopify.com masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial